0: Good morning, church. It's good to see you here. It's good to be with you. Um, as we continue our series through, uh, through the Bible, through the story of the Bible from garden to glory, uh, the, kind of starting from the very beginning, from creation all the way to the end of the scriptures, uh, we're we now in, in kind of in, in the Pentateuch, and we really see today the, the birth of the nation of Israel um, and you know, with, with the events yesterday, I, I just thought it was probably appropriate to to stop and, and to begin this morning just by praying uh, for Israel the, the, from the, the the attacks yesterday uh, that happened there. So much loss of life, so much suffering. Uh, you know, and, and, and I know it just happened, and it's perhaps the start of a war. You know, who knows what's what's gonna gonna unfold? Um, but I thought we could start just by praying for uh, for Israel for the region. Um, and, and then we'll we'll begin. So let, let's pray. Uh, let's pray together. Um, Father, we we uh, we come to you today with with heavy hearts because of uh, the attacks uh, in Israel yesterday. Um, Lord, that that uh, so many people have died. We we pray um, that you would comfort. We pray that you bring comfort to those who lost uh, sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers um, and friends yesterday. Lord, we pray for those who are right now uh, scared and terrified uh, at, at what, what will happen at the future. And Lord, we pray uh, just that, uh, we pray for peace, Lord, that we know that, that there's only, uh, that there's no human uh, solution that can un- unravel the deep hatred, uh, the deep hatreds that run uh, a millennia deep in that region. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would we pray that you would intervene. We pray that you would help the helpless. That you would have mercy. Um, we pray that you would deliver, and that you would uh, you would comfort. Your presence would be uh, would, would be known there, Lord. I pray for for uh, your church uh, in Israel today that uh, you would strengthen them. You would strengthen your people um, to be your hands and feet to their neighbors and to their community, um, Lord. We ask for we just ask for help. What what do you ask for, Lord? Please have mercy. And please help. Uh, We we need you, and and we look forward to the day when when the Prince of Peace will come uh, and when there will be peace in the world. Now, if you will, uh, just take a moment in your seat. I want to give you a second just to pray for yourself. Would you pray uh, that God would speak to you, that he would would open your heart um, to his word? Would you pray also for me, um, that I would be faithful to God's word and that I would be helpful to you? Father, you know that, that uh, we need you. You know that I need you. You know that... Um, I have no power to, uh, to change anyone's heart, including my own, and so uh, we, we rely right now on, on your Holy Spirit. Would you come and would you speak to us? Would you, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us in all the ways that we need? We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We have a lot to cover today. Uh, this, this sermon is, is titled The Partial Kingdom, Egypt to the Wilderness. We're tracking uh, the story of the Bible. Uh, and if, you, if you've been following, we're three sermons in. This is the fourth sermon and we're only you know, to the beginning of Genesis. So we're going to have to speed up uh, and cover some more ground. And so I just want to preempt it and say I'm, go- I'm not going to talk about your favorite story in the Pentateuch. Okay, I'm just not going to talk about it, and so uh, it, it might make you might be mad at the end of the sermon. Like, why didn't you? Why didn't you talk about that? That would have fit so well. And well, yes, it would have, but we just can't. So uh, there's just there's just a time limit here. Um, we have a lot to cover, so so we'll go ahead uh, and get started. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked about the promise to Abraham. Right, the promise from uh, from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abraham. Or to Abram, who will become Abraham. Go from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then down in verse 7, talking about the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abram, Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So God makes this problem promise to Abram as as Pastor Kevin talked about he just shows up to Abram it's it's a grace Abram doesn't there's no, nothing about Abram that that makes him worthy of this God just shows up and says I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a great nation I'm going to I'm going to give you a land I'm going to bless you and not only bl- I'm going to bless you I'm going to bless the whole world through you And so part of the the drama and part of the question that that drives the Old Testament through is how will God keep his promise, right? How will he keep his promise um, to Abram, who becomes Abraham? And today we're going to see five ways through the Pentateuch, through these first five books of the Bible, that God keeps his, his promise. The first one is that God protects and grows his people, God protects and grows uh, his people. Um, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, uh, Esau and Jacob. God chooses the younger. Uh, and so Jacob is the, the the promised son, the seed of promise. Uh, Jacob then has 12 sons. Uh, Jacob is also named Israel. And so there, these are the 12 sons of Israel who then become the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, but the, the, these right now, they're just brothers and uh, these brothers, they, they don't like their second to youngest brother Joseph, and so as you do, they sold him into slavery, uh, into Egypt, um, Joseph goes to, he goes to Egypt, and he just has bad uh, luck there, right? He, it just goes really bad for him. He starts to work at Potiphar's house. He's accused by Potiphar's wife of assaulting him wrongly, uh, but he goes to prison for that. Um, then he's in prison, and he interprets a dream for Pharaoh's cupbearer, and he's like, remember me when you get out of here? The cupbearer leaves, forgets him, uh, and so he's, he, is, uh, he, he goes from bad to worse, sold by his brothers into prison, and then forgotten in prison uh, about as low as you can go. But then, all of a sudden, and of course by God's plan and by his hand, this turns around and Joseph gets a break. The cupbearer remembers because Pharaoh has a dream. He wants, he wants someone to interpret it. Uh, the cupbearer's like, oh, I had a dream once and this dude in prison told me what it meant. Maybe he's still there. Goes and finds Joseph, brings him to Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. Right? Pharaoh's dream is that there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Uh, and, and this is what, what God is revealing to Pharaoh. Joseph says, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is what God's telling you so that you can be ready. Uh, and Pharaoh's like, I think I know the guy who's got enough wisdom to help us be ready for this famine that's coming up. Joseph, you are now uh, in charge of everything. Right? And so he's, he's appointed to second in command uh, in in Egypt, uh, and then if you know the story, it's a great drama. The the, the uh, it ends up there's there's a famine over the whole land. Canaan also has a famine, and so Jacob sends his remaining eleven sons to Egypt to buy grain from the person who's in charge of selling the grain, which is their brother, their long lost brother who they don't recognize, Joseph. Um, eventually Joseph does reveal himself to his brothers. Uh, he does forgive them. It's amazing. Uh, and then he says, hey, the, this family is going to last for a, lot long, for a long time. Uh, bring everyone here. Bring my father. Bring all of the herds, all, of the, all the servants, everything. Come move to uh, Egypt and I will care for you. And so this is how uh, the, the people of Israel, right, Jacob's family, gets to uh, Egypt. Now Jacob dies in, in Egypt. He's an old man when he moves there and he dies there. And when he dies, the, the brothers, you know, Joseph's brothers are a little bit skeptical about what might happen. Uh, verse, uh, this is Genesis 50 verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brothers the transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And this is the blockbuster suffering verse, right? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival Of many people, therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so Joseph says, "Hey, I'm not going to take vengeance on you. Listen." And 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 he says, "Yes, I suffered greatly, and yes, it was evil. Right? You planned evil against me, but he could see the plan of God. God planned it for good. Right? God planned it for good. There's there's purpose in our suffering." Even if we can't see it. But, but Joseph can see part of it. And part of the good, right? What does he say? Part of the good that happens is the survival of many people. Right? What, what was the good that came from the suffering of Joseph? The survival of uh, the sons of Israel. The survival of this, this uh, you know, the seeds of the nation. This is how God protects and he preserves his people, you see at the end of Joseph's life uh, that he has faith in the promise in, in uh, Genesis fifty twenty four, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When, you, when God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Oh, I love that. He's like, God's gonna keep his promises and I, wa- I wanna be buried in the promised land. You take me there. You take my bones there when you go. So there's faith in in, uh, the promise. But but that whole generation dies, right? And Exodus begins, uh, Exodus 1, verse 6. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, became extremely numerous. So the land was filled with them. They're growing as a people. A new king, verse 8, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. When war breaks out, they'll join with our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Israel becomes, right, it becomes in, in Egypt, a great nation. Do you see? God promised to Abram, yeah, I'm going to make you a great nation. And in, in Egypt, they become many multitudes. They become enough people to be uh, their own nation. But the problem, of course, is that they're, they're oppressed, right? They're, they're impressed as slaves. They're not in their own land. They're not living under the rule and the blessing of God. They're living under the rule uh, of, uh, and the oppressive rule of Pharaoh, Which leads us into the second way that God keeps his promise um, to his people is that he delivers them, right? He delivers them. In Exodus, we are introduced to one of the main characters of the Bible is Moses right? And Moses uh, is, is uh, miraculously uh, preserved as a little baby. Uh, Pharaoh commands that all the, the male uh, Israelite children be killed, um, but through, through a sequence of events, and you're like, tell the story, Lawson, that's a great story. I'm like, I know. I just can't sell all the stories. Uh, and so the, uh, but the, he's, he, he's raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, um, he ends up through a circus, sequence of events uh, out in the wilderness. Then, after he's grown, he ends up out in the wilderness as a shepherd uh, in Midian, and and when he's out in the wilderness looking for a sheep, he encounters uh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in a burning bush, a bush that is burning but is not consumed, um, and and the Lord speaks to. Moses and tells him, uh, you, are, you are my chosen instrument to go and tell Pharaoh, uh, to, to br- let my people go, that I'm going to bring them out of Egypt so that they might serve me. Um, and and <clears throat> so, uh, so Moses goes, right? Moses and, and he takes uh, Aaron uh, and they go together to Pharaoh. And, and here's what, what God says to the, to the people, right? To, for, God to, to, for Moses to tell um, Israel. And God spoke to Moses telling him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I'm the Lord. And I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and will rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. You see, God remembers his covenant. He remembers his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He sees his people in Egypt and he says, I'm gonna bring you out. I'm gonna take you to that land like I promised uh, that I would. God is faithful. Moses goes uh, to Pharaoh and, and time and time again says, let my people go that they may serve me. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. Um, and so God, God sends plagues, judgments on Egypt and on Egypt's gods again and again and again. Ten plagues. Hitting worse and worse um, with, until the last plague. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. The angel of death was gonna pass through the land and kill all the firstborn. Um, and this is where uh, the, the Passover, the Jewish Passover comes from. Right, God told His people. He said, "The the the angel of death is going to pass through the land. Here's what you do to avoid uh, your firstborn being killed. You take a lamb, you kill the lamb, you put the blood on your doorpost, you paint it on there, um, and then you you uh, you eat that lamb and you pack your bags and you wait and I'm going to deliver you, right? And and do you see? And it's kind of a weird thing. Put blood on the door. Like, what's the? This is weird. I did, but do you see the 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 imagery? Right? Do you see what 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 uh, God is, is foreshadowing, right? There's a way to avoid the wrath of God and it's to be covered by the blood, right? God will pass over, his wrath will pass over. Uh, the, the lamb will die instead of you. Do you see, <laughs> right? It's coming, right? This, this is the foreshadowing uh, of what's coming. Uh, and so the, 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 Passover, uh, the Passover happens. This is uh, Exodus chapter 12, Verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood the blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. On this, if we flash back to to Abraham, Right, Genesis 15, when God is ratifying the covenant, his promise uh, with Abram, uh, what does he say? He says, the, uh, he says, know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterward, they will go out with many possessions. And then Exodus 12, verse 29. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up. He, along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and and the Israelites, and go worship the Lord as you've said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave and also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country for they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. They went out with great possessions. And by the way, they also took with them the bones of Joseph. Um, and, and, and so they, God delivers his people from Pharaoh. And that's actually not even the end. He, they go out into the wilderness, right? And Pharaoh changes his mind again, brings his army to chase them. They're up against the sea, the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds. Uh, and, and God, had, God stops the, the army with a pillar of fire. Um, and all night, the wind blows and he parts the sea. And the Israelites pass through on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh's army goes through, uh, the, the sea comes down and consumes Pharaoh. And, and God shows that he is God and not Pharaoh and not the gods uh, of, of Egypt and his people are free. Now, um, we, we really like freedom, right? In America, in Americans, we're, we're big on freedom. Um, and and we, we, t- we talk a lot about freedom uh, we really like this motif, this the Exodus motif, right? Uh, Let my people go. Uh, we we a, a, most every social movement is framed as we're we're the oppressed and we're breaking out of the, the yoke of the oppressors, right? Um, and, and but often I think as, as we, I think we have an un, un uh, unreal and unbiblical uh, view of what freedom is. We we think of freedom largely as as negative freedom, freedom from restraint. If right? freedom means I, 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 there's no obligation on me, I can do whatever I want. That's what it means to be free. I, I can do whatever I want. But that's not that's not a, a biblical or even a practical, I think, view of freedom. Right? For freedom, there is a negative freedom, but but there's also a positive freedom. You're free from things, but that means that being free from things means you're free to things. And every time uh, when when God tells Moses to 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 tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It doesn't just in there. He doesn't say, let my people go. It says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they may worship me, so that they may serve me, so that they might sacrifice to me in the wilderness. You see, there's a, there's a negative freedom. Yeah, you, you have to be free from the oppressed and the Pharaoh. Uh, but, but the reason for that is not just so the Israelites can go just live however they want and have a nice, fulfilling, happy life. No, no, no. It's so that they might worship me. So they might serve me. I won't come back to this, but to serve the Lord is true freedom. God protects and grows, He delivers. Third, He, he incorporates. Right? How is God going to keep His promise to Abraham? He, he's going to incorporate His people, He's going to make them a nation. Exodus 19 4 through 6. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagle's wings. brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me, keep my covenant. You will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you're to say to the Israelites. Right, I brought you out. And then of course, this is just a, a, a group of freed slaves at this point. This isn't a, this isn't a nation. But he says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to make you my, my uh, holy nation, the, the one that I uh, promised. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to bless the world. This nation is going to bless the world. You'll be my people. How does he do this? He does this by giving his people his law. Right? He does it by giving his people the law. Then God spoke all these words, verse uh, twenty, Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Right? This is the first of the Ten Commandments. He goes on with the rest of the commandments and, and expounds on them. But, but notice, this is so important, the, the order. Right? Notice the order. Notice it's not, God, God doesn't say, hey, you obey my commands and then maybe, maybe I'll deliver you. It's exactly the opposite, right? What does he say? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. I've already delivered you. I I have brought you out. I have saved you. I have rescued you. And so here's how you now live. Don't worship other gods beside me. God's law, his, his commands, they don't come out of just a vacuum. It's not just like, God's like, I just, I feel like they should, you know, do this. No, they, they come out of a, of a story. It's, it's historically situated. I've delivered you. You are my people because I have rescued you out of slavery. I've done something you can never do for yourself. Oh, here's how you live. Here's how you live. Right, and, and he gives them his law. And, and the law, uh, the law is amazing, right? The, God's law is incredible. Chris Watkin talks about uh, how the, the, the law of God is this is different than every other ancient people, right? In, in all ancient, ancient cultures, uh, the law was just the word of the king, right? The king could just give an edict and that was the law, uh, which, which means you couldn't, you know, in ancient Babylon, you couldn't go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, um, I, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is not following the law because he'd just be like, well, the law is now you're dead, and I'm right. You know, uh, like you can't. The, the king couldn't be held to account because the king was the supreme authority. But in Israel, we see something very different. We see a law given by God, an external law, right? And if you read through the the Pentateuch, you see how do how do you judge a prophet if they're telling true words? Well, you judge him by the word of God. How do you judge, how, do, how does a king? How does a king held to account? Well, the king has to submit to the law of God. Right? There's this objective measure, and you see the kings, the prophets, the ordinary Israelites are all held to the same standard. Right, and, and this is for those of us in a Western tradition. We're like, yeah, that's right, rule of law, right? We have this. Like, well, where do you think that came from? <laughs> it came from this, right? It came from God giving His law. We have we have equality under the law because of this tradition. And it's amazing that God gives His law to His people, it's such a blessing. Um, And and so in so many ways, and it'd be wonderful to look at. But again, we got to keep moving. He gives this amazing law to his people, incorporates his people, and and then the response. So uh, in Exodus 24, uh, and in verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. It's a great response, isn't it? oh yes, he's delivered us, he's told us how to live now, we will do all of it, we're in. That's the right response. They, they struggle a little bit with it. <laughs> Subsequently, we'll see that in a minute. But God incorporates his people by giving them his, his law. Um, fourth, he, he dwells among, he dwells with his people. Right, and, and it's a good question. How, how does a holy God be with sinful people, and not the people all not die? <laughs> and the answer is the tabernacle and the sacrificial system right? The, the, God gives Moses the plans for this tabernacle, this tent. It's very elaborate. It's got the outer court and the, the holy place and the most holy place with the ark uh, of the covenant where, uh, where the, the 10 commandments were housed, where God's presence would dwell. And no one could go in there except the, the, the high priest on the day of atonement once a year when he was purified, right? The, all the, all the, the sacrificial system and the cleanliness laws, you can eat this, you can't eat this, you can touch this, you can't touch this. If a bowl touches this, you got to break the bowl and then you got to wash your hands, and then you're unclean till evening, right? All, all, all those places where you get stopped in your Bible reading. You're like, just another rule about blood, right? Uh, th- there's all these these cleanliness. What, what, what is all this doing? It's all to say God is holy. God is holy. He's set apart. He's different. He is the Lord. He can't just. He's not like us. You can't just. You can't just be with him like you can be with another person. No, there's there's all these these barriers, right? That God wants to be with his people. It's a blessing, but but you also can't just be with him like everyone else. There's got to be purity. There's got to be holiness. There's got to be faithfulness. There's got to be sacrifice for sin. God is holy. He dwells with his people. But he wants to. He wants to dwell with his people. Wonderful. And you might think that that's just an unmitigated good, right? Man, God dwells with his people. Wow. It's just like just a blessing. And it is a blessing. Um, but, it, but it also brings with it uh, a great uh, potential for downside, <laughs> potential downside, right? A great uh, potential for, for punishment. Um, and, and I think you can see this uh, very, very clearly uh, in, in Leviticus 26. Um, Leviticus twenty six uh, the the end of Leviticus again Leviticus is the cleanliness laws uh, and, and it says this and 26 Verse 3 If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Your threshing will continue until the grape harvest. The grape harvest will continue until the sowing time. You will have plenty of food to eat and live securely in your land. I will give peace to the land, and you will lie down with nothing to frighten you. I will remove dangerous animals from the land. No sword will pass through your land. And it continues, right? If, if you are faithful, if you follow me, if you worship me, it's going to go really well for you. But, verse 14, but if you do not obey me and observe all, all these commands, if you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and do not observe all my commands and break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring terror on you. Wasting disease and fever that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. You will sow your seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will turn against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even though no one is pursuing you. You see, if you if you do well, if you follow me, if you worship me, you follow my law, it'll go well for you. I'll be with you. I'll provide for you. If you reject me, if you reject my law, if you worship Idols, you break my covenant. I'll be against you. See, the presence of God brings greater accountability, doesn't it? And you see here I, I, that, that there is, uh, within, within the covenant to Israel, right? There, there's an unconditional covenant to Israel. And within that, there's a conditional portion. Okay, so there's unconditional and conditional. There's the unconditional. What's the unconditional part? It's the it's promise to Abram. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll make you a blessing to the nations. God says he will do that unilaterally. That, that's going to happen. That's unconditional. God has promised it. But within, within the unconditional, there's, all, there's a conditional. And it's what we just read in Leviticus. If you follow me, it's, I'll be with you. It's, I'm going to bless you. I'll go well for you. If you don't follow me, it's going to go badly for you. Conditional and unconditional. And unfortunately, um, Israel very much struggles with that conditional portion, um, which leads to the the last and the fifth way that God keeps his covenant and his promise is that He, he blesses and he punishes. Right, so he. Of course, yeah, we've seen him bless He blesses with his presence He blesses with provision We didn't even talk about the manna from heaven uh, the, the quail, the, the meat that God provided The water from the rock he, He's providing everything that they need As they walk through, uh, through the wilderness um, but, but also he punishes his people right? he, he punishes his people it, In fact, uh, we, we read the people's response I'll do everything the Lord has commanded um, and, and literally right after that uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the plans for the tabernacle. And he's up there 40 days. God's speaking to him, giving him these, these plans. And uh, and at the end of that, God says, hey, you got to get down there because uh, the people are worshiping a golden cow. And Moses is like, what? And so he goes down and, and he he's furious and he throws down the tablets and they shatter. And he uh, he's, you know, so mad and he grinds up the the... You know, statue and makes people drink it, and he gets a bunch of Levites, and they kill a bunch of the people who are who are worshiping idols, Uh, and then God sends a plague, and a bunch more of the Israelites die, and then Moses prays and asks God to forgive, and God God forgives, and he relents, even though there's there's always consequences for sin, but he relents. He says, "I'm not going to destroy my people. Um, I I will forgive them." But there's punishment. There's punishment for breaking. The command is literally forty days after they've received the law for the first time, and they have said, "We will do it." Right? They, they they say, "Aaron, make us an idol," and he's like, "Okay." He punishes them. Fifteen months after, uh, fifteen months after uh, Israel leaves Egypt, they come to the the border of the Promised Land. Okay, and it really they're really set up uh, to to fulfill the promise. Right, it just seems like this is a great moment. Um, they 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 have become a great nation, just like God said. Right, that they are on the verge of the the of Canaan, the actual land that God promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all those generations before. Um, they they have the law of God, they have his his rule and his command. They're they're ready to live under his blessing in this new land, and so it's set up to go. Man, this is, God's about to fulfill His promise to Abram. So Moses sends scouts into the land. He sends 12 scouts um, and, and they go and they spend 40 days there. They, they travel all around the land. Um, they, come, they come back, they bring a bunch of, there's this huge fruit. Uh, it's, a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a rich land. Um, they bring back this fruit. And when they get back, all the people gather together to hear their report. Um, and Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, they say, it's a great land and God's given it to us. Let's go take it. Um, but the 10 other spies say, there are giants there and there's fortified cities and there's people everywhere. There's no way we could take this land. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill us and they're going to take our children and our, and our wives and make them slaves. And we see the response uh, in Numbers chapter 14, the response of the people, starting in verse one, and the whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. They get to the border of the land. They're about to take possession. They're about to receive the promise. And then they fail to trust the Lord. And even after all they've seen, after all they've been through, after seeing the, the, the wrath of God and the blessing of God for seeing his provision, after being rescued from slavery, they come to the promise and they, they will not enter in. Right? They they are they are afraid and they fail to trust. And so they're punished. Right? They're about to they're about to kill Aaron and Moses here. God himself, his presence has to intervene just to save uh, Moses and Aaron, so they don't, they don't stone their leaders. And and really, God's like, I'm you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna kill them all, and I'm gonna start over with you, Moses. We'll just make a new nation. And Moses like, God, don't do that. Remember your covenant. Remember your people. Um, And God's like, okay, I I won't kill all of them, but those who are twenty and up are gonna die in this wilderness, right? They're gonna die, and the Israelites wandered for forty years in the wilderness, Um, and everyone besides Caleb and Joshua, who was over twenty years old, died, and they were buried in the wilderness. And God said, your kids who you're worried would be plunder, I'm going to take them into the land. They're going to taste it. They're going to see my promise, but you're going to die here. So God punishes his people. And I, I wish I could say that those 40 years of, of wilderness wandering were, were uh, you know, just, they were, the people of God were just so repentant and submissive and uh, they, they knew what they'd done, and they followed and were faithful to the Lord. But that's, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that that's not true. They weren't smooth years right, of wandering in the wilderness. What do we see here? What do we see here? Well, I think the first thing we see is that God is faithful to his promise. Right? Every step of the way, God is faithful. He's accomplishing his purposes. He's, he's doing what he said he would do. And, and you also see that Israel is not, Israel is not faithful. At every step, they complain. At every step, they wander. And we've tracked the, the kingdom of God. as God's people, God's place, under God's rule and blessing. And, and at this stage of the story, we see God's people. And it's Israel. They, got, they, they are a people. They're a great nation. But instead of being in God's place, they're in the wilderness. Instead of living under God's rule and blessing, they're living under his punishment. And they're wandering for 40 years. Now, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from the history of Israel in this section of scripture? Well, one of the great principles of studying the Bible is that scripture interprets scripture. And so if there's one part of the Bible that says what another part of the Bible means, it's, that's always helpful. Uh, and so over in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually does this um, for us. Uh, he, he talks about this exact section, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse one. And here's how we... Uh, where where we're going to land today. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus himself was providing for his people. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. Why did these things take place? These things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written down for our instruction, on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. I would love to look at Israel and the Israelites and just laugh at them and go, oh, they're so stupid. How could they possibly? They walked through the sea. They, God led them in a, with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They, they saw his mighty wonders. They saw the ground open in Coral's Rebellion and swallow up old people and close again. Right? They, they saw all of these wonders. How could they not trust God? How could they not be faithful? But that doesn't seem to be what Paul says we should do. Instead, he says that these are written down as warnings, as examples for us, and that uh, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. And maybe we we should have some humility to say, oh, and what have we been shown? What have we been given? What revelation do we have in, in the scriptures, in Christ, the God himself who's come and who's lived and who's died and who's risen from the dead, who's ascended to heaven, who will return? What have we seen? What faithfulness have you seen in your life that God has accomplished? And then how, how do we fail to trust? Right, which should, should lead to humility. Should lead to self-examination. Should just go, how, how am I tempted? How am I tempted to, to desire evil things as they did? Do you see, uh, just as there was a, an unconditional covenant with a conditional portion, a conditional part of it for, for Israel, so there is for us. So there is for us. There's an unconditional part, right? There's an unconditional grace, right? We are saved, how? By grace, through faith in Christ alone. It's not of works. So that anyone can boast. We can't do anything in order to earn God's love. We can't do anything to be saved, right? Deliverance has to come by the mighty hand of God. That's the only way that it comes, And we receive the love of God, and we receive adoption into his family, we receive justification, right standing with him. This is unconditional. If you're a child of God, no one can snatch you out of your father's hand. But there's also, within this unconditional covenant, there's a conditional portion. Isn't there? How else do you make sense of most of the commands in the New Testament? They're a conditional portion. When Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They use many words. They think they'll be heard for their many words. They stand on the street corners. They want to be heard by others. I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. When, when your Father who sees in secret, when he, when he sees you, he will reward you. You see, it's conditional. You want the reward of God? Don't pray to be seen by others. Pray in secret. Pray. Spend time with the Lord where no one can see. It's conditional. It happens if you do it. doesn't if you don't. Fruitfulness. Right? What does Jesus say? Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. You know as a Christian you can choose not to abide in Christ. You can choose to ignore Christ. Haven't you? Right? Uh, you know, the, Paul says, those who sow to the flesh right, will reap the flesh. Those who sow to the spirit will reap the spirit. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What do you do with that promise? Do you think, in fact, maybe God isn't drawing near to you because you're not seeking him? There's there's a condition to it. There's a conditional nature. I think we see this. I think we know this uh, in, in parenting, right? My kids can do nothing. To, to stop being my kids. Whatever my kid, children do, however heinous, I will always love them. They're my kids, unconditional. But you know what? In my household, it, it's very different when, when they are joyfully obeying me than when they are rebelling against me. Isn't it? Right? If children are in joyful obedience, there's all kinds of blessings, There's all kinds of fun. There's all kinds of joy. There's all kinds of opportunity that happens. Right? When they're rebellious, there's all kinds of punishment. There's all kinds of restriction. There's all kinds of, of heartache that happens. And this is the same with the Lord. You see, even in this passage, he, Paul is saying, as a Christian, listen, you have the power, you have the choice to fight temptation to walk away from temptation or not to now if you're not a Christian, uh, the Bible says you're a slave to sin right you, you don't have a choice really right you, you, you will sin because s- Satan is your master, the flesh sin is your master, your, your God is your belly right you, you're just mastered by your desires and you know what you need you, you can't just try to obey that, <laughs> it won't work. you need deliverance right you need a, a, a rescue and this is what Christ offers. Right, that he died for your sins, and you can receive that as a gift, the unconditional gift and grace of God. But if you're a Christian, then you have the power, right? No temptation has come upon you except what's common to humanity. God is faithful, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Right? You can you choose. Will I go with this evil desire or will I not? You have, another way to say this, you, you have been delivered so that you might worship. Or you've been set free so that you might serve the Lord. You've been given grace so that you might live for him. Like, do you think that God saved you just so you could live a nice, comfortable life, just like, and do it whatever you wanted to? no that's not freedom that's slavery right you were free you've been set free so that you can worship the one you're made to worship so that you can worship him and listen god is faithful god is faithful he he accomplishes all of his promises he, he does everything that he says he will do. And listen, we, we are the ones on whom the ends of the ages have come. Like we're not in the same spot as the Israelites, right? We're further along down the line. That's what we're talking about. This whole story, we're can see we going to be able to place ourselves in the story where we are. But God is working. He's still working in the world. He's still doing things. There, there are things yet to come that have been promised that he has not done yet, and they will happen. And you know what? He's using his people. He's using his people to make disciples in the world. And listen, I don't know about you, but I do not want to be the ones who die in the wilderness. I don't want God to say, because of your unfaithfulness, you're going to die and your children I'll take your children into the promised land. They're going to see my works in their generation. No, I want to see God work in our generation. And, and what will God do? What could he do? What will he do with the people who are wholly devoted to him? What will he do with the people who take this seriously? And don't become idolaters as they did. I'm, I'm not going to live for my career anymore. I'm not going to live for beauty or sexual allure or how my body looks anymore. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to work for the approval of my parents anymore. I'm going I'm to stop that. I'm not going to worship the things that, I, that, that my neighbors worship every day of every week. I'm not going to live for money and material possessions and comfort and approval and power. I'm not going to do it. What will he do with people who put away sexual immorality, anything outside, anything sexual outside of a man and a woman in God-ordained marriage? What what will he do with the people who said, I'm not looking at pornography anymore. I'm putting it to death. I'm going to confess that to my brothers today. I'm going to get it out in the open. I'm going to put it to death. What will he say to people who say, I'm never complaining again. I'm not grumbling I'm going to trust that God, I'm going to trust this, this terrible situation, this evil situation I'm in is because God has put me here and he's going to work and I'm going to trust him. What will he do? What, what could he do? What will he do with the people who are wholly devoted to him? Oh, my prayers that we wouldn't miss what God is doing in the world. May he help us. We need him. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment just to reflect in your own heart. What is God saying to you? What is he leading you to confess to him or confess to someone else? What is he leading you to talk about? What what issue is he bringing up in your heart and mind right now? Father, for the the person in here who isn't following you, uh, who's really living for themselves, living for their own goals, their own commitments. For the person here who's running from you, who's running headlong into sin. The person in here who just is sitting here right now and just doesn't honestly care. Um, I just pray that you would pour out your love into their hearts in this moment in a way that they can't deny. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that you would deliver them like you brought the, the Israelites out from slavery, that you would bring us all, you'd bring these people out of slavery to sin and they could experience the freedom of worshiping and serving you. Father, for your children here, for those of us who know you, Lord, you know our struggle, you know our weakness, you know we're embarrassed even to pray sometimes because of how forgetful and how lazy and how um, inept we are. We should be so much further along, Lord. Lord, would you give us grace to truly surrender, to be wholly yours, to leave our idols, to leave sexual immorality, to lead, leave the ways that we don't trust you, the ways we complain and grumble? Would you give us the open hands of faith that we release those things in Jesus name? Would you do a work in us, in, our, in, in this people, in this place, in this time? Would we see your works and your mighty, your mighty power in our generation? Would you pour out your Spirit on us? Would you pour out your Spirit on Tomball and on Spring and on Cypress and on the woodlands and on Magnolia? Would you pour out your Spirit? And would we worship you? Would you be our delight? And what other people see <laughs> and come and also worship you. Make us yours. Father, you're you are you are good. And we love you. In Jesus' name.